This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, August 4th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Ridgeway gives a go for more affordable housing. Shandoka parking lot moves towards development. A quack in good time at the San Miguel. And a mountain weather forecast. More affordable housing will soon be available in the town of Ridgeway. On Wednesday, Ridgeway Town Council gave the green light for the nonprofit developer Rural Homes to begin work on 14 homes on a roughly one acre parcel near the middle of town. It's equidistant between the schools. It's a stone's throw from the park and obviously close to Main Street, too. That's David Bruce, project manager with Rural Homes, discussing the development with town council this week. The town also anticipates adding another 30 units this fall through the collaborative effort Space to Create Colorado. The 14 homes approved this week will be two to three bedroom units, ranging from 1,024 square feet to as much as 1,600 square feet. They will be deed restricted and for sale, priced for people making between 60 and 120 percent of area median income. A big piece of the affordability puzzle is that the units will be constructed in a factory off-site and then installed. The whole idea is to bring technology into the construction process, minimize errors, really drive computer modeling, understanding cut lengths, and through all that efficiency, driving down the cost to build. Bruce notes the factory construction company, Fading West Development, was listed as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential Companies of 2022. Fortunately, Bruce explains, Rural Homes has a spot reserved in the factory queue. So we got in the door on time. The production queue is now full through to 2024. Another key piece of keeping the homes affordable is free land. Rural Homes is developing a similar project with 24 homes in Norwood on land donated by San Miguel County. In Ridgeway, local anonymous donors put up $1.2 million to buy the parcel. It's huge. I mean, obviously this wouldn't be happening without that. Ridgeway Mayor John Clark. It's just another great example of how Ridgeway's community is really is really engaged and they do care and they do want to make a difference. Save for some objections to developing an undeveloped road as part of the project, public comment at this week's meeting was largely in support of the housing. Here's Michelle Montague and Jack Petroselli. I am fully in support of this project without exception. And I commend the applicant for doing what no one else seems to have been able to pull off. So way to go. And thanks. I'm totally in support of this project. I think we, we're really lucky to have them choose us to do this project here. I think the towns should be proud that they have been chosen for this project. Clark says he's very happy to see the support. We all know how NIMBYism can, can be a problem, um, and that hasn't been the case here, which is very rewarding. Ridgeway Town Council unanimously approved the preliminary plat for subdivision and planned unit development for the 14 units of affordable housing. So, while there are still details to pin down, rural homes can begin work on the site. Here's Bruce. We're trying to get as much infrastructure built as possible before frost. So, you know, that includes trenching for the extension of the water and sewer lines, uh, building the roads. But then we're also actually trying to pour foundations Um, our footers and stem walls before homes arrive from the factory, potentially sometime in late November. The aim, he explains, is the homes will be ready for move-in by this December. The plan, according to Bruce, is to allocate the deed-restricted units via a lottery. 
Priority will go to people who work within the boundaries of the Ridgeway School District, but those working outside the district will also be able to apply. And other rural homes affordable housing projects could pop up down the way. With the approvals for the Ridgeway homes, Bruce says they're feeling better about the possibility of replicating the development model in other areas. There's a site out in Natarita that the West End Economic Development Corporation has purchased. Um, So, you know, we want to get out there and really understand whether this model could apply in Natarita. You know, I think there's opportunities in Montrose and Dolores. So I think the more traction we're getting, the more inquiries and questions about how we're doing this are, are coming through our email inbox. The lottery is already open for the other Rural Homes project in Norwood, a 24-unit development called Pinion Park. The deadline to apply for that is the end of August, with the drawing in mid-September. The town of Telluride is starting the process to develop a parking structure and affordable housing development on Lot L, also known as the Shandoka parking lot. You know, this is uh, a site that is currently a huge, huge parking lot, and that's how everyone's experienced it. But we see this as an opportunity to be a really beautiful neighborhood. And so this will be an enhancement to a place that's great already. It'll make it function uh, nicer, be uh, more convenient for the existing residents, and it'll provide new homes for uh, future residents as well. That's Randy Rhodes, Director of Affordable Housing for Cushing Teller, the design team working with the town on the project. This week, members of Cushing Teller were in town to start the conversation with the community on what the development could look like as a concept. Rhodes says the basis of the development comes directly from the town's Southwest Area Conceptual Plan. The big idea is to create uh, an intercept parking opportunity at this lot L location. So the specific program components include uh, approximately six, 960 vehicle multi-level parking structure. Uh, we see that based again, based on uh, what the recommendations were in the Southwest Ferry Plan, uh, 300 spaces that are on that site uh, right now, plus another 300 uh, commuter spaces, plus the 288 spaces from the car hedge. So all those, all that parking would come together and be in that same parking structure. We also see the opportunity for uh, a wrap of some residential affordable apartments. There would also potentially be some transit-based commercial space, an intercept-type lot, and trash and bicycle parking for residents. In the concept, Rhodes notes there's a number of opportunities and constraints for building on the lot. We see that the opportunity to increase uh, the intercept parking for commuters, provide transit-oriented commercial uses that are proximate to parking, and new local regional transit hub opportunities is it's a, a very key aspect of how this neighborhood can function. Provide parking for other uh, uh, other folks that require day-long parking, such as skiers. So we see this as an opportunity to expand the number of resident-occupied affordable employee housing units on the site. And again, we're seeing that as a wrap around the exterior of this parking structure. So uh, from major facades, what you'd experience is that uh, that residential character, and we're studying how that can work and how much of that can, can work around the building. Steve Rabora, parking design specialist on the project, says the parking garage needs to be a balance of capacity 
and ease of use. The least expensive garage and the most inviting garage that we talked about today is what's called an open air parking garage, which means that 40% of the perimeter um, is open to the air. Um, that's mainly based on, on ventilation uh, to where that's at. The other opportunities with that is it brings natural light into the garage. And we did talk about zero net energy and some of the advantages of bringing sunlight and natural light into the garage by keeping the garage as open as we as we possibly could. During the public discussion period, a number of residents shared their ideas and concerns for the project. Angela Dye worries about the light coming off the building. We are not quite a dark sky uh, community, but we're close. And especially in this neighborhood, that is a huge, would be a huge concern, especially if you are down at ground level and you're looking slightly up at um, potential glare. George Harvey worries about the safety for children walking in the area. This garage, I think, is probably the right thing in the right place, you know, and it's got to happen sometime. But the traffic's going to increase exponentially on that street. I, I've just accepted it's going to happen. The issue is, I think, how do you make it safer? Scott Pittenger works for Telski and has the same concern when it comes to skiers moving from the parking garage to chair seven. You know, how do we get them across safely? Um, and then how do we kind of continue that all the way to the bottom of list seven, which right now that's a very back of the house way <laughs> to get into um, the bottom of list seven. Um, so we're just, we want to tidy all that up as part of this progress. And, uh, yeah, we just look forward to working with you guys on Rhodes says they'll take all those pieces into consideration as they move forward with the project. He says listening to the needs of the community is a top priority. Having it be beautiful, having it be responsive to the culture and the climate in, the, in this beautiful city is, is central to our job as an architect. Telluride will continue to host community meetings to discuss the design and plans for Lot L. The next community meeting will likely take place later this month. Rubber ducky, you're the one. It's that time of the summer again. Friday at noon is the annual KOTO Duck Race. It can be viewed from anywhere along the river trail between Town Park and Carhenge, but spectators are required to stick to the riverbank so as not to run afoul. The race will also take flight right here on our airwaves. KOTO's Gavin McGough sat down with the race's commentator, Ashley Bowling, to talk all things duck race. Find a little fella who's cute and yellow and chubby. Rub a dub dubby. So ducks are sold out ahead of Friday's annual duck race. And here I am with Ashley Bowling. Uh, welcome to the studio and thanks so much for joining us. It is so great to be here. Uh, the anticipation of the 2022 KOTO indoor outdoor duck race is so thick you could cut it with an electric chainsaw. A lot of anticipation, a lot of trash talking. I think this could be one for the record books. And what year are we in for the duck race? How many times? This is the 144th and a half year uh, of the KOTO duck race. Now, it started in uh, 1878 with the Telluride Volunteer Fire Department. The firemen, in conjunction with some of the miners, 
who were allowed to come up above ground, decided to put on a duck race. And for the first 11 years, they used live ducks. Now, Kodo took over from the fire department sometime uh, just before World War I, after the turn of the century. And you're young, so I should say two centuries ago. So let's talk about the ducks. How have the ducks been doing? Are they all uh, fit and ready for competition? There's a lot of optimism. Now, this year, I'm sure you've heard there's a situation in Ukraine where Vladimir Putin has invaded a sovereign nation. And we have banned the Russian Federation from participating again in this year's KOTO duck race. But we will have four ducks from the Ukraine who were able to get out of the duck-esque region of eastern Ukraine. And just recently, we're able to get on a uh, transit ship and through the generosity of many international philanthropist, those ducks have arrived in Telluride and they will be racing starting at noon on Friday. That's a very uh, uh, harrowing and exceptional story. But I understand that many of the ducks from many participating nations have actually faced uh, travel challenges and uh, gas inflation prices, and how has that affected? Yes, that's true. Uh, the, as you know, since Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, the price of diesel and aviation fuel, as well as gasoline, has really skyrocketed. And I don't think any corner of the world has been immune to that. So, um, sadly, uh, several of the duck teams have not been able to get their teammates here. Um, we're going to see 109 teams uh, represented, or teams from 109 different countries. Um, and uh, yes, fuel costs have gone up. Yes, there have been uh, tightening of borders around the country. But I think we're going to see an amazing international field showing up on Friday to swim in the San Miguel River. I'm excited just talking about it. And and we do have to make sure it's a fair race. And as, as we all know, sometimes waterfowl can run afoul. Yes. Well, what sort of measures are being taken? There, of course, there's been some uh, discussion and controversy over blood doping. The ducks will be tested for uh, doping and could be a factor for some of the teens. I think most of the teams are going to be on the up and up. It's going to be a fair race, rain, snow, sleet, or shine, and may the best duck win. And the ducks love to go out uh, for a celebration post post oh, they race. Sure do. Oh yeah. Uh, where where can viewers find them on Main Street? Well, uh, there's not one general spot that the ducks will go to to celebrate. But let me just say, post race, there will be some celebration happening here in Telluride. Well, listeners, Ashley Bowling is the commentator for the 2022 KOTO Duck Race, which kicks off this Friday at noon sharp. So Ashley, we'll see you there, and listeners, we'll see you all down there as well at the river. Merci beaucoup. That's French, and there will be a French team uh, in the race this year. And I should say, vielen Dank. That's German, and there will be a German team. There will be a Japanese team, so I can say, domo arigato. And may the best duck win. The Telluride Hospital District is looking for a new member for its board of directors. The seat is open following Richard Betts's resignation. The board will appoint the member to serve until the next regular election in May 2023. Applicants for the position must be a registered voter in Colorado and the owner or spouse of owner of a property in the hospital district. 
Applications for the position are open through 4 p.m. on August 31st. The new board member will begin their role on September 23rd. In our digital world, Internet is pretty much a necessity. And the Wilkinson Public Library is one of the hottest public spots for free Wi-Fi in the Telluride area. But this Monday, don't bank on surfing the web there. The internet will be out at the library on August 8th. Printing services will also be unavailable. A wildfire tore through Superior, Colorado in December. The flames destroyed hundreds of homes before they were extinguished the next day. But the fire left its fingerprints on homes all over town. Even months later, residents whose homes were unscathed had a smoky taste and smell in their water. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, that required an expensive fix, the likes of which could be more common for towns and cities across the West. It's a cool, windy day in the foothills. Ripples and waves are blowing across the little reservoir outside of Superior's water treatment plant. Just a few months ago, this place was cornered by flames. All that was, was under fire as a, as a grass fire and, and moving and blowing you know, towards us. That's Alex Arenello, the town's public works director. He says a lot of that charred debris landed in this pond. And even though it's small, the water in it reaches a lot of people. If you are turning on a tap in a home or a business in Superior, there's like a 100% chance that that water passed through this reservoir? Oh yes, yeah, it all comes, it all comes through here. After it passes through that holding pond, it's piped in here, where the water treatment plant removes all the stuff that makes you sick. Under normal conditions, that is all it takes to deliver tasteless, odorless water. But after the fire, it just wasn't enough. The ash gets through, it's, maybe it's microscopic and not, uh, you know, these are chemicals that maybe it's not reacting with those, those chemicals. To be clear, the water is safe to drink. It passes all the necessary tests. But Arinello says his department heard from residents upset with the way it tastes and smells. And they call us all the time. This is, the water's terrible and I can't take a shower. I, you know, they're very afraid about the water. So we're, we're trying to alleviate those fears. Superior is trying to do that by installing big tanks that'll add an extra layer of purification. Just down the road from here, scientists have been working to figure out exactly what kind of filter to put in those tanks. But first, Anthony Kennedy is starting with the cause of the problem. We think this is the source of kind of the taste and odor issues. So you can, I mean, you can kind of stick your head in there if you want. It's a big bag full of stuff pulled out of the reservoir. Little bits of brown grass and brush, mostly charred and black around the edges. And it smells like a campfire. The folks here at Corona Environmental Consulting were contracted by Superior to figure out how to get that smell out. So they've been pushing the water through tubes and pumps to test different kinds of filters. And a clear winner has emerged. We're looking at granular activated carbon, which essentially looks like black sand, very uniform black sand. That black sand is the same thing that's in your Brita filter at home. And all the tiny burned bits, they stick to the surface of this granular activated carbon and take out the smoky taste. But this whole project is not cheap. Just installing the tanks and pipes for the carbon cost the town one and a half million dollars. But in this town of only 13,000 people, that's a big enough chunk of the budget that other projects had to get put on the back burner. 
Similar problems and expenses could be on the way for other communities across the western U.S. where wildfires are encroaching. It starts with recognizing that this is likely to be of concern and impact you. Chad Seidel runs the environmental consulting firm working with Superior. He's also an adjunct at the University of Colorado, where he got his Ph.D. studying water quality issues. He says wildfires are no longer just a problem deep in the woods. And they just keep getting closer and closer to home. And the conditions under which we experience them are just more and more often. And so communities who might have thought, oh, we're not really in the forest. We don't have to worry about wildfires. That's not the case. Other scientists agree. Climate experts point to the fire that hit Superior as a warning sign that climate change is pushing fires closer to cities and towns and the infrastructure that keeps them running. In Superior, Colorado, I'm Alex Hager. President Biden signed an executive order on Wednesday. He says we'll make it easier for people to travel to other states for abortions. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, it includes the possibility of financial help. As part of the order, the nation's health secretary will consider letting Medicaid pay for abortions outside of someone's home state. Biden is also calling on Congress to do more. And if Congress fails to act, the people of this country need to elect senators and representatives who will restore Roe and will protect the right to privacy, freedom, and equality. So-called abortion tourism has been on the rise in Colorado after neighboring states banned or restricted the procedure. Some Democrats say they want to take more steps next year to increase capacity, including promoting medicinal abortions. Colorado's constitution does not allow the state to spend any public funds to support people traveling here for the procedure. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low in the mid-50s. Friday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low in the mid-50s. Saturday calls for partly sunny skies with showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and a high around 70 degrees. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 50 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, August 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.